this is why I don't do my eyebrows on camera because I'm entirely too close to my mirror right now. But I mean, if you guys really wanted to, we could go on this journey together. Hi, I am Aura Van Dank, and I just came at you so very aggressively. I'm sorry. This is another episode of Murder's Drive. I'm back. Another week. Another episode. Another show. I have wigs on the wall behind me now because this is a different space, so I'm acclimating to where to put all of the hair that I own. An interview that I was in the other day pointed out that it looked like Moira's wig wall from Schitt's Creek, and I couldn't be prouder. I had them hanging up like this back uh, in North Carolina, too, on thumbtacks in the wall, so... Apologies to mom and dad for having to take care of that. Any whomst. This week I struggled to put on eyebrows because I was really sweaty for some reason. I was watching a documentary about the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. That really got my adrenaline pumping. Well, I'm Aura Van Dank, like I said, your hosticle with the mosticle, taking her eyebrows off with a little green burlap bag. I don't know about you all, but this week has been a wild one for me. Emotionally, mentally draining, like intense. I don't know what's so intense about this week. What planet is going through some existential crisis and spinning out in an intense self-destruction whirlwind it's probably mercury because she's always a problem but it's happening for sure now because I feel it in my bones in my planet bones not here for it some days I just find myself non-stop cleaning because you know the world is gonna end so it needs to be spick and span for that and other days I find myself just reclusing and isolating on the couch because the world's gonna end, so why do anything at all? The way I have always found myself out of those dark, depressing ruts is by looking at cases of murder on the internet, because that's how my brain works and I can't explain to you why, but chances are, if you're here, I don't need to. With that said, this week I'm doing a case that I've really been wanting to report for a while, but haven't felt like I had enough information about the case, but then considering the point of my podcast and the whole reason that I do these underreported cases, I was like, well maybe I'll become the information for somebody to look into in the future, because I don't think any new information will come to light. And that's really the only way to put my money where my mouth is and get these people the exposure they deserve. So here I am. Money. Mouth. And the murder of Frank Yazzie is one of those underreported cases. Frank Yazzie was an openly gay Navajo man living in New Mexico in 2009 when he was brutally murdered. The circumstances under which he was murdered have remained very mysterious. There's been very minimal released media regarding Frank's murder and regarding Frank's life. So this case was definitely a deep dive. So my sources are fragmented articles from the Albuquerque Journal, but those articles were citing articles from the Associated Press that I just couldn't find, so God knows where that information came from. Findagrave.com once again came through with the majority of the information, biographically wise, regarding Frank, birthday, where he grew up, where he lived. All of that important stuff from findagrave.com and a book about Navajo culture. That is possibly problematic, possibly not. I'm not entirely sure. The jury is still out on that one. And of those very limited articles that there were to begin with, articles that did mention Frank Yazzie mentioned him as a statistic of LGBT people who were murdered in 2009, specifically. Other articles that just cited a one simple sentence, his name, how he was killed. And that's it. That's the only information that's out there to find on Frank Yazzie. It's gonna take a lot more than a Google search to actually find information about him. And I'll get into why that might be later. Frank Yazzie was born January 26, 1966. 
and he was born in Los Angeles, California. Unfortunately, like I said, there's very, very limited biographical information regarding Frank or anybody in that area, to be honest. Going off of essentially nothing, I did what I always do and dove in way over my head. I noticed under his very short memorial that just displayed birth date, death date, name, there was one sentence written. And this is about to get a titty tad complicated, so get ready. The entry in the memorial index read, The Black Sheep People Clan for the Black Streak of the Forest People Clan. Even with little context, it was pretty clear that this was identifying the tribes that Frank belonged to. So with limited information about Frank himself, I thought maybe I could look into the tribes that he belonged to, look at some of their cultural practices, and see if I could match anything up with Frank. Again, in over my head. It's just not that simple. Googling the name of either one of those clans came up with basically nothing viable for research options. And to preface the rest of this research, I should probably mention, Native American history, culture, everything, even to today, is, um, as far as I know, as Navajo culture goes, is verbal, storytelling, traditional, that's how things are passed down. So it's very intimate to be able to know the details of the culture, and knowing the details of the culture would entail sitting or living with them, for with the tribe for a while, and learning what they do and having them tell you stories of their ancestors. It's not something that's really popularly written. Uh, I have found, though, a few people who are working to get it more popularly written, and there's sort of a battle between conservative Native Americans and more progressive Native Americans when it comes to that. So, like I said, trying to do research on Frank's individual life opened up a can of worms that I was not ready for. And it led me to that weird microaggression-y book titled Welcome to the Land of the Navajo, a book of information about the Navajo Indians. Already doesn't sound great. So the book was published by the county, essentially, and written and compiled by actual Navajo people. The book is full of really good information because it's been fact-checked by actual Navajo people and was compiled by them so that maybe white people could learn about their culture. But many of them decided not to read the book, so here we are. The book was published in 1972. Don't expect too much from it. I did find, however, that the clans that Frank belongs to obviously are translated from indigenous languages. And the Black Sheep People Clan are named that because their area was known for hunting large black sheep-like animals. And I can only assume that the Black Streak Forest People are called that because of the forest that they lived near. And this is very old, ancient, like before colonization and genocide happened, naming of these tribes. And although the Black Sheep Clan and the Black Streak People Clan sound very similar, they're not. Obviously, they're two different things. I learned that's because it's maternal and paternal, so it's passed down like hereditarily. That means Frank's mother was of the Black Sheep People Clan and Frank's father was of the Black Streak Forest People Clan. So it's like a maternal-paternal thing, kind of like genetics, like blue eyes, kind of. I'm sure within the culture and within the family there are so many stories about Frank, the son, the brother, the friend, but they're mostly being told verbally, unfortunately. So I will honor him with what information I did find and do have regarding Frank Yassie. As I sort of stumbled through that realm of my research, I realized that it's actually very 
important and significant to his identity that somebody left that note under his memorial on Fine Degree. I read that when a baby is born, in Navajo culture, their identity is declared then and there. They're born for their mother's clan and of their father's clan. Those words are not interchangeable. It's important to declare that they're born of their mother's clan for their father's clan. And that's declared at birth and at death as a signal of their identity and a way to remember and sort of solidify that identity all throughout that stage of their existence. It's also to sort of trace the genealogy when there is no written or typed in stuff. I mean, obviously there is today, but this all of this cultural practice comes from the very beginning of the Native American people. And to state that somebody is born for and of these two tribes, they can sort of trace that back like a family tree, tribe by tribe, because each person inherits two, giving them technically four, and so on and so forth. So it is a good way of tracking genealogy, family trees. Being such an important part of their culture, it's good to know and comforting to know that that was done for Frank in the beginning and the end. Now to the very tragic part. In late June of 2009, two kids, for some reason, it's always two kids, and I just can't help but imagine them as some creepy-ass shining children who are like fucking playing stickball and rolling a hula hoop or something, and then they stumble across a crazy scene. These children found a fully closed, severed man's torso wrapped in a trash bag. They knew what it was, obviously, and knew cops needed to be called. They told the parents, parents called the cops. They find the torso. Cops are they. That was probably the messiest way I could possibly describe that chain of events. About a week later, to other people, not specify that they're children, but I'm in my head imagining that they're some creepy fucking kids, also discovered a trash bag containing the fully clothed legs portion of a person meaning that wallet pocket contents were in both parts, which is why I mentioned that they were closed. Now, police in the area generally don't get dismembered bodies. Not that I'm saying there is an area somewhere where the police do get a lot of dismembered bodies, but New Mexico is not known for its particularly large homicide rate in compared to other states in the country. Basically, the law enforcement was very unprepared to get such a grisly case. Police identify the top portion as Frank Yazzie, who was 43 years old at the time and residing in Mentmore, New Mexico. Frank had his ID in his pocket, the pants that were on the body, and that wasn't identification enough for the lower portion. And until they were able to do a DNA test, both pieces were kept separately because they didn't know that it was the same person. Also due to the fact that the body had been brutalized so badly. I mean, it was grisly. Clothes were still on. It almost seemed like it was a last-minute decision for the murderer to dismember the body. Like I said, this is a very small law enforcement area. The jurisdiction would be right outside of Gallup, New Mexico. It is very impoverished, very small town, very little to no gas stations, but what they do have is the RV Campground of America, which I saw on our cross-country road trip that they started advertising in, like, Arkansas for some reason to, like, go to Gallup and stay in an RV park. That's what they have there. Not prepared for something this crazy. And I don't want to say high profile because it really wasn't. They found a body cut in half in two separate trash bags and it didn't go very high profile. I mean, like I said, the articles were just sensationalized, single-sentence 
clickbait headlines. It was, you would think that Gallup does see a lot of this, but they don't. So they thought they might have multiple homicides on their hands and wanted to get more information about Frank Yazzie. Difficult as it is, I would know. Nothing comes of that. Time keeps going. The investigation does not. Almost a full year passes, and then police arrest 25-year-old Joshua Casey Yazzie and 22-year-old Danielle Yazzie on May 23, 2010. They had a warrant, and the only information I could find about the warrant was that it had something to do with the murder of Frank Yazzie. Those two were booked into the Danya Anna County Jail. It said that they were pending a transfer to McKinley County Jail, McKinley County being the county where the crime took place, and then no further information is available. Problem, because these people did not do it. Problem, because these two people are Native American, and I can't help but feel that there was some racial profiling going on there. Another year of no news, no answers, nothing goes by. And then on May 21st, 2011, two years after Frank is murdered, a Gallup man is arrested and charged with the murder of Frank Yazzie. 54-year-old David Torres is apparently brought before a judge a year prior to see if he's fit to be charged or tried with any of this in the first place. Which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me to begin with. But then it starts to make even less sense. The district judge, Grant Fouts, finds him competent to stand trial, and then something happens in that year to where he's not arrested and brought in until that date, May 21st, 2011, brought in facing not only the murder charge, but tampering with evidence, regardless of what that means. What the fuck? According to the articles that I was able to really dig up, and when I say dig up, I mean dig the fuck up those articles, because they were hidden. Torres denied everything. He said that he didn't do it, wasn't there, doesn't know anything about it, didn't tamper with evidence. I don't, like, I don't, it blows my mind. I, I don't understand how there's not more information about this out there. Guessing there was either a gag order or something put on this, that there was no information allowed to be released to press or anywhere other than just, again, word of mouth. But I did find out that he was sentenced to 12 years in prison and convicted with only second-degree murder. How is it second-degree murder if you cut a person in half and then you only get 12 years? I want to know the details. Why did he only get 12 years? I know you want to know the details too, and I can't fucking tell you because I don't know. A quick peek on the New Mexico Department of Corrections database doesn't bring up a David Torres. The only one it does bring up, completely different charges, different age, everything. That has to lead me to believe that he's not in prison anymore. It's been less than 12 years, but chances are he wouldn't have served the whole sentence anyway. If maybe for that year he was already in jail, they gave him time served. I don't know, there's like a whole lot of gaps in this case. Regardless of the shitty circumstances surrounding his death, Frank Yazzie is absolutely remembered among his tribe, and among more than just that among the gay community. In an article by Rachel Hansen for the University of Utah, Miss University of Utah's American Women's Scholar, pageant queen with one of the very longest titles I've ever seen, said in an interview, Our elders tell us, don't forget where you came from. I went to college to help my people because I saw a lot of problems there. Not just in my community, but within my own family. My mother and father both struggled with alcohol. And I know Native American populations everywhere struggle with that same issue. There's not a lot of running water. There's hardly any electricity for people. A lot of people stray away from the reservation because of those problems. But there's a lot of good teachings back home. And that's a quote from Miss Rachel Holiday. I only said the pageant title as if you would know her like she's some sort of a drag queen.
Anyhow, to Rachel's point, there are so many good and enriching cultural teachings that the Navajo Nation has for us if we'd only spend the time to do the research and look into it. It's history that has survived many an attempt to see it completely snuffed out and pretend that white people were just the first people here. And it's strong and been passed down for thousands and thousands of years verbally and through storytelling and things that there's not really another culture that can say they've done. I would love to have been able to find more information about Frank and about his people, his tribe, and his culture, but I know that that's a lot to ask of the Navajo people who already deal with so much and writing down and recording their history the same way that modern societies weren't inhibited by some crazy genocide do, it's a lot to ask. So for now, the least I can do is tell Frank's story the way I know it, the way I researched it, and give him the memory, exposure, and platform that he deserves. And with that somber, breathy tone, it's time for a transformation. That's the finished look for this week. I hope you enjoyed this do-it-yourself necklace and earrings I made because I don't know where my jewelry is, or my nails for that matter, but that's why I'm not talking with my hands like I usually do. As always, I hope you enjoyed the fuck out of this episode. I hope you enjoyed all the episodes before this and all the episodes to come. Sometimes my lighting's different. Podcast people, you don't know that because you don't watch me, so what are you worrying about? It's gonna be okay, podcast people. YouTube people, it's also gonna be okay because have you ever been to a gay club before? The lighting's never consistent there. I'm just trying to feed you the true fantasy of what it is to interact with your everyday drag queen. Everybody wakes up in the morning and puts their teeth in one tray at a time. I don't write the rules. Now that I have the fake teeth in my mouth and I can't speak anymore, I welcome you to come back every week. I welcome you to binge on my previous episodes on Spotify iTunes, Apple Music, podcasts, I mean. Also, if you're watching, you can watch from the Out at TV app on Roku, Fire Stick, Google TV, soon to be other things, probably. Who fucking knows? For now, my name is Aura Van Dyke, your hosticle with the very mosticle, and I hope you have a wonderful day. That's not what I do. I do mwah. Hi, I'm Aura Van Dyke. I heard that you weren't watching my show yet. And that's... Okay, I just can't understand why you would willingly miss out on such iconic behavior. There's no real need for you to miss out. Tune in every Thursday on this channel for new episodes at Murders of Drag, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can also tune in Mondays at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I air live on Out at TV. New episodes weekly.